Welcome to America This Week. I am Matt Taibbi. And I'm Walter Kern. And as usual, just to remind everyone, there is a written version of America This Week at taibbi.substack.com. We go through all the news events of the week, and this is really sort of a midterms preview issue. Uh, we got a whole bunch of stuff in there about um, the predictions of different races, some subplots, some other weirdness that's, that's going on internationally. Uh, so we'll you can go there and check out that. And uh, here on the podcast, uh, Walter and I are going to uh, take a deep dive into uh, the midterm elections, which are happening next Tuesday, beginning with the extraordinary speech, I think, by the, the president uh, this past Wednesday. Walter, you watched it live. What were your initial impressions? Well, first of all, I found it incredibly repetitive. Um, you know, it was like some sort of a, a, a game in which the word democracy would be put in, you know, a bigger range of sentences than we've ever seen it. Um, democracy is a state of mind. Democracy is a feeling. You know, it was like a greeting card for democracy. Democracy is a warm puppy. And it had a strange, you know, hectoring, but gently hectoring vibe until suddenly it swerved into. Uh, request for patience from the voters, because as we all know, for some reason, ballots that have been cast before the election take longer to count. It, he, he said, as you, as you know, they can't be counted until after polls close. Well, I believe that's true of all votes, is it not? Um, and uh, so... I should listen to this, because it's, it's kind of amazing the way he phrased it. We know that many states don't start counting those ballots until after the polls close on November 8th. That means in some cases we won't know the winner of the election for a few days until a few days after the election. It takes time to count all legitimate ballots in a legal and orderly manner. It's always been important for citizens in democracy to be informed and engaged. Now it's important for citizens to be patient as well. Now, this is what you were talking about, Walter. He's talking about the general virtues, but there's also a little bit of sleight of hand in there because the the question that immediately comes to mind as he's saying all this is, well, how come we could always count votes <laughs> the same night before? But then he says, it's always been, right. right, in the middle of the thing, as if we've always taken a long time to count ballots, but we haven't. Uh, and... I don't know. That that felt like a rhetorical trick to me. Not and, true. I mean, the the closest election of my lifetime, Bush Gore, um, uh, we were we were all uh, arguing and already um, weirded out that night by how close it was, and it was coming down to you know a few thousand or a few hundred votes. Um, so the notion that we have this new tradition, this new retroactive tradition of needing huge patience while the painstaking vote counting process goes on. First of all, it just wasn't true. There were a lot of things in the speech that weren't true. You know, he, he called January 6th an armed insurrection. Um, it's very hard to get near the U.S. Capitol with uh, armor or, uh, you know, firearms. But uh, uh, that that went by, too. It, you know, it was a speech in which a lot was smuggled. He used the word hammer. Uh, you know, trying to allude to the attack on Paul Pelosi. Um, oh, where where did, he, did he use that elsewhere? 
Yeah, he well he used it in the speech. He said something about attacks on democracy with an X, with a Y, and with a hammer. Um, and uh, it, it, it was it was a strange speech, which you know oh in the God, it, yes, you're right. We don't settle our differences, America, with a riot, a mob, or a bullet, or a hammer. I yes. totally missed that. Oh my yeah. God. It was a subliminal speech, Matt. You know, uh, he, 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 it was almost as though he muttered the word sex, sex, sex <laughs> under his breath at some point. Hammer, hammer, hammer. Um, yeah, it, 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 it hit quite glancingly all kinds of weird points. And I was prepared for it to be a speech in the vein of the great Philadelphia heavy metal house of wax uh, speech and, you know, in which he was lit red and seemed like he was reciting the fall of the house of Usher. Um, but, but this was, this was in some ways a more unsettling speech because it laid the groundwork for so many strange narratives and it put so many bugs in your ear and then just moved on. And, and when he, but when he got to the need for patience, I, I was heart sick. I was like, does America not deserve this time above all uh, an election that can be, um, uh, you know, that, that, that we can be proud of in terms of its infrastructure, its, its, its dispatch and its accuracy? But no, we were warned against basically just those expectations and even told that like we were children you know, you can wait for dessert. Uh, that, that, that was what I felt. Um, you know, don't expect dessert right away. Don't expect conclusions and, and gratification and, you know, final solutions. Just, uh, you know, hang on, kids. We'll get there. Daddy's driving. Um. <laughs> well, it, was, it, was, it was patronizing that way. That's exactly what he was doing. Yeah, I had I had the um, the same reaction. I, like, I, so I recently watched the movie Bullet Train. I don't know if you've seen that. You've seen <laughs> I that? saw the preview, which was long enough. One of the things that you come out of watching that movie is, oh my God, is that a real train? Do they do they actually have stuff that cool in Japan? Like, and you think, why can't we have trains like that? Uh, you remember that actually, in fact, they do have a high speed train project in California, but they're like thirty seven years behind schedule. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be such a thrilling movie if it were set on New Jersey transit or, you know, <laughs> non-Acela Amtrak. Even Acela, it would be three times as long, that movie. They should do an Acela version of that where there's <laughs> where there are like 40 more assassins and it takes like that much longer to get to the end of the story. Yeah, where, ba where Brad Pitt falls asleep, gets old, and then is replaced <laughs> by a child who grows up between <laughs> Washington and New York City. <laughs> <laughs> and fulfills the vengeance plot. It's Benjamin Button meets Bullet Train, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you do feel you're aging, you know, even faster. It's like the Einsteinian relativity proof about the astronaut who gets younger or older. But what I was going to say also about the speech was that I noticed that he had no presidential seal on the podium and that for some reason he moved it to the strange venue of Union Station, Washington, the train station, speaking of trains, uh, which he was ridiculed for doing even before the speech started, because apparently Union Station, Washington is a 
sad version of its former self. You know, uh, a lot of homeless encampments, Starbucks pulled out, uh, apparently. And um, it was an odd place to do it, but I thought he must be sort of avoiding campaign laws because this speech is so obviously not a presidential address, but a Democratic Party address. He can't do it in the White House and use, you know, taxpayer funded resources or something. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the way I put it, I was writing uh, a little thing about this for the for the column. And first of all, the, the tone of the speech was very um, Stalin-esque in style. In other words, the, he, he, the, the idea was this was the besieged leader yeah. uh, sort of delivering a distress signal uh in a, in a republic on the verge of toppling thanks to wreckers and other internal threats uh but even the and this is how i, I wrote it I wrote, even the staging was dramatic as if the leader was hurried in front of a portable podium and flags kit uh perhaps underground with vents clogging with blood as shock troops above you know held off the fascist invaders i mean that's it what it, it was a sort of weird ad hoc uh look and it almost felt intentional, like um, like they were trying to make it look uh, dirtier and less impressive than a normal like, like a sort of continuity of government bunker somewhere in right. uh, yeah. Western Virginia. Um, the, the, the thing was that it was a speech uh, that wasn't expected and wasn't ballyhooed. I think it was announced that day. And. That also created an emergency atmosphere around it, you know, um, as though he woke up that morning, checked democracy's vital signs on a monitor and said, damn it, I've got to go do something. Can somebody find some flags? We'll need a microphone and my good tie. Um, Push 20 cc's atrophine. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, speeches are often described as rambling. And almost all speeches, the first thing you, you say about them, if you if you are against them, is that they were rambling. I found this gliding. It just sort of glided along from point to point. And even though it was, you know, apocalyptic in, in tone or in in mean in sense, um, it had a strange detached quality until it got to that patience part, which you know, made me think of those phone calls with, you know, Hollywood lawyers where nobody gets to the point for a long time. And you're talking about restaurants and suddenly they tell you, oh, by the way, you're not going to get uh, you're not going to get uh, paid for this. Uh, right. Yeah. We're not going to renew your option. <laughs> we're not going to renew your option. Um, renewing the option on democracy. That could be the, the title. But that's a good idea. I like that. But the other thing I keep thinking is. And somebody pointed this out on my Twitter feed. How do they pivot from this if they lose? Um, will they pivot from it? First of all, you hope they will. They'll say, you know, we thought democracy was going to end, but we've got some people we can work with and uh, we're going to try to come together. They can hardly do that after such a lead up. Um, so then what do they do? They say, uh, well, democracy ended today and we're going to institute a new sort of rule to preempt the total takeover of the autocrats and, uh, you know, don't expect business as usual. And, and, and that was the subliminal and most troubling message in the speech to me, which was that 
somehow, if after the election, things do not go the president's way, we will be in a kind of, you know, new rules situation. And what those rules will be are unclear. Um, but, but the autocracy that he is warning about, if triumphant, and, and he never gives a timeline on how long the end of democracy will take. Will it be over by Wednesday? Uh, right. uh, by Friday when some of the votes are counted? By December when most of the votes are counted? Um, will it happen due to legislation in the new Congress? Is the end of democracy going to be something that we face every day? Or, you know, will it simply be decided that it has ended next week? Yeah, that's, it, it was really strange, right? Because he, he, he started off on this incredibly dramatic note with this description of the, the, um, the attack and about breaking Nancy's kneecaps. Just a few days ago, a little before 2.30 a.m. in the morning, a man smashed the back windows and broke into the home of the Speaker of the House of Representatives, the third highest ranking official in America. He carried in his backpack zip ties, duct tape, rope, and a hammer. As he told the police, he had come looking for Nancy Pelosi to take her hostage, to interrogate her, to threaten to break her kneecaps. It's pretty dramatic the way he delivers this whole description of the attack on Paul Pelosi. Then he makes this amazing connection to January 6th. All this happened after the assault, it's hard to even say, after the assailant entered the home asking, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Those are the very same words used by the mob when they stormed the United States Capitol on January the 6th. Well, they do have Nancy Pelosi in common and the Capitol Police. Um, the, Capitol, the, the, the Capitol Police, who in this case appear to have been asleep at the switch, they were all ever so vigilant on January 6th, but apparently they weren't watching the video. It's now come out that there was video, but they weren't watching it. Um, I don't know what that means. Uh, it still exists. There are a lot of elements of the story that are really strange, uh, but for him to bring up that strange and clearly, clearly very individualistic story, you know, no matter what it is, right. it's a guy, right, showing right. up at his house, and he connects it to January 6th. These are, these are the very same words used by the mob when they stormed the United States Capitol on January 6th. Uh, so he's openly saying at the beginning that essentially we are confronted by violent extremists who want to end democracy mm-hmm. and that is all at stake next week then he says well at least they want to end democracy by voting i mean uh, <laughs> right. well, of all the ways to end democracy i suppose that's the most just and fitting um uh rather than using helicopters or something or armored personnel carriers right right or, yeah, or, or, or dropping uh dropping troops in the street yeah so he so he sets that up he says they're going to end democracy by by voting i guess uh and then and then he says um oh and by the way uh you're going to need to be patient while we count the votes um and then there the, 
hovering over all of this is the is the implicit thing that we're way behind in the polls. Yeah. Um, which you know, if you combine all of that stuff and mix it up and make a sort of you know political bimbop out of it, bimbop, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's the, what they're basically they're preparing you for. I guess the eventuality that what they're preparing you for. They're preparing you for almost anything. It's impossible to tell what they were preparing us for. And one one feature of the speech, which had to be noted, was the numerous repeti- were the numerous repetitions of the term voter suppression and voter intimidation. This this election hasn't happened yet, and 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 yet voter intimidation and voter suppression are issues. Um, is he looking through a Alice in Wonderland? Uh, instrument to to know that that is going to take place. Um, have there been warnings to the you know well, DHS? To be fair, there, there are there are some stories out there, and uh, you know I, I look for video of, of this, uh, but there there have been complaints to the Justice Department about um, at least a couple of states, Wisconsin and Arizona, where sheriff's deputies have been deployed uh, along with sort of some vigilante types um, have uh, been deployed to the uh, drop-off boxes where people uh, put their mail-in votes. Yes. Uh, and the, there's, there have been reports of people being questioned as they put in their, put in their votes. Uh, this has turned into, into some complaints, some criminal referrals. Uh, so that could be what they're talking about technically, that those would be voter intimidation complaints, I guess. Um, and that's inspired by the 2000 Mules movie, which um, I, I was very amused to read uh, in a CNN story. That, you know how they, they started uh, doing those disclaimers like, um, you know, President Trump said baselessly or he, you know, without merit or whatever, they, that became like a certain general's warning yes, yeah. that they put in the story. Uh, so in the, when CNN described 2000 mules, they're now doing double disclaimers. Um, this is a sentence from a story this week. True. The vote is well known for backing a thoroughly debunked disinformation film, 2000 mules that baselessly claimed to uncover widespread Dropbox ballot fraud in 2020. So they're now, they're now double doing that. Um, but I guess that's, I guess that's what they're talking about is the, is the ballot, uh, the mail-in ballot box intimidation? Well, they're not mail-in ballot boxes. They're drop-off ballot boxes. And, 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 and I, I watched the movie. Um, I, you know, it depends a lot on statistics, that movie. Um, it, 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 it relies on video footage, uh, sort of surveillance footage of individual boxes purporting to show people dropping off masses of ballots at once. And then it also extrapolates from these instances uh, using cell phone uh, location data to show that the same cell phone owner uh, went to more than one box. In some cases, uh, it purports to show them going to 20, 30 or more boxes in one night um, by kind of zigzag routes. Whether it's been thoroughly debunked or you know, is 
you know, impeccably baseless or whatever it wants to be called. It was a movie which uh, advanced an argument uh, using evidence, and I would have liked to see a more thorough uh, debunking of it rather than just an adjectival debunking. But, um, you know, we do have this new uh, institution in American polling, which is these privately funded in the, in the case of the 220 uh 2020 election ballot drop boxes they were funded by a uh Mark Zuckerberg um uh NGO kind of that and they're and they're strewn all over the place maybe if they're not being watched by quote vigilantes they should at least be watched by someone um uh most ballot places most polling places are, are 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 somewhat scrutinized by the authorities they're not you know um hidden away so uh now that we've invented this new sort of uh freelance ballot depository that is not the u.s mail and is not a polling place uh there should be an expectation of some uh, some coverage uh but you know uh to your point um suppression intimidation and so on um i suppose are possibilities here um and yeah, they have to investigate it yeah, right like, yes you see see this is our problem right now people want to rush to assert the uh you know bad faith of the other side before showing us their work and it's created a spiral of distrust um and and Perhaps the most disappointing thing about the speech was that it was a speech which aroused paranoia and suspicion rather than laid them to rest. I would have liked to have seen a speech that somehow allayed the fears uh, and, and the, the justified concerns of at least half of America that, uh, you know, that our elections be run cleanly. Instead, we were asked for patience. Um, instead, we were given somewhat, as you say, misleading stories about how hard it has always been in America to count votes. Um, and uh, in some ways, I thought it was a gift to the Republicans, this speech, because it aroused their it aroused their sense that something dubious is afoot and that it can only be that it can only be countered by mass, you know, mass voting, whereas it didn't, I think, cause Democrats to want to surge to the polls, this speech. But but it did but it did raise, you know, social media being the evidence of this, a lot of suspicion among Republicans, which they are, you know, which they are sworn to uh, counter through showing up in record numbers. That that seemed to be the the vow among those who found the speech uh, unsettling. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so a couple of points here. Number one, you know, we, you and I even talked about this, I think the, this whole theme of democracy as an issue becoming a, uh, a focus for Democrats or, or, a can or a theme of campaigning. And it makes, it makes sense when you look at the polling numbers because the top issues for voters going into this uh, going into the midterms, according to the Pew Research Center, um, I'm going to read five of the top six. Mm -hmm. Economy is the top, 
Then number three is education. Number four is healthcare. Number five is energy policy, oddly enough. Oh. Then number six is violent crime. Now, uh, number two is the future of democracy in the country. And, you know, of those six, which of those issues would you run on if you were a Democrat? Uh, there's really only there's one a, choice. There's I, only one of them. And, and, and frankly, just to be to shoot from the hip, I don't buy the poll. I, I don't I, I don't buy that the number two concern is the future of democracy. I don't you know, that sounds like push polling to me. That doesn't sound like anything that a voter uh, spontaneously named as a major concern. Uh, maybe maybe Democratic voters have been so primed with this phrase that, you know, they are given to uh, reciting it on being polled. But I, I, I just you know, I live in a town of very mixed political um uh views at least probably on balance a democratic town and 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 that's not what i hear exactly overall the democrats have decided to run against trump again what i mean let's be very simple trump is not on the ballot but they decided to run against him and if they lose they will have lost to someone who's not on the ballot uh it, it was a strange strategic decision but it was clear from spring that this was they were going to make this a referendum on Trump and or Trumpism in a country which is doing well and, you know, feeling good about the future and optimistic. That might be a winning issue. But in a country in which feels afflicted by inflation, crime and other quality of life and immediate issues to run against the boogeyman. Um, when there are so many problems closer at hand, seems to me to have been a major mistake. And did you find it at all odd that all of this sort of running against Trump in absentia coincided with lots of rumors that he was going to announce uh, his run for re-election after the midterms, especially if the Republicans did well? Well, I mean, those rumors appear to be true because he said as much at a rally yesterday. Um, but, uh, you know, they want they wanted to advance that uh, that vision for those who really don't like Trump. Um, but if they make this a referendum on Trump and they lose, then it becomes de facto a affirmation of Trump having staked it all on Trumpism. If the Republicans come out ahead, it will be a uh, the, the, the revival redemption of Donald Trump. There's no other way to read it from the Democrat point of view. I mean, they, they, they have insisted that this is what it's really about. Um, so I guess that's where they're going to go if they lose. Yeah, I guess I guess so. Uh, it, I mean, it. It's so obvious. It was so obvious in 2016 when Hillary Clinton spent 90 percent or I guess 90 percent of Hillary Clinton's attack ads or negative ads were directed at Donald Trump's character or something like that. Or, or I forget what the stat was. It was 90 percent of the ads were negative ads about Trump. Um, in other words, running against Trump, the person didn't work when they were actually running against Trump. Yes, uh, yes, and run, so running against uh, Trump's ghost um, yeah. is is probably going to be less effective. The other problem is that um, uh, 
I don't know that Americans are all that convinced they want to vote for Trump again. Uh, he's lost some support among former constituencies. There is another credible candidate, DeSantis. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, the whole thing gave me a let's cross that bridge when we come to it feeling. You know, they're, they're giving him the nomination, so to speak. And, and, and not even allowing Republicans to decide that. And it's unsh uncertain how they will decide that question. Um, so, uh, but as I say, how do they pivot from this? How do you pivot from the end of the world when it doesn't happen? Um, or do you make it happen to fulfill prophecy and to you know, uphold the prestige of the prophets? Yeah, that is a really tough question. and. I think at some point, really both parties, but especially the Democrats, have to stand up and say, okay, we recognize we have a little bit of a problem with the legitimacy of elections now, uh, and we have to own some of those problems. From raising questions about whether or not elections hacked the 2016 election, but especially what happened in the primaries in 2020 on the Democratic side, uh, where there were a whole host of fiascos that had nothing to do with Republicans, nothing to do with Republican voters or Republican officials. Uh, you know, I'm thinking specifically of the Iowa caucus where yeah. it took, you can hand count the people in that state. It took, they didn't have a result after 16 days. There was a private company, again, to, to, to go back to your theme about the, the mail-in boxes, they had hired, they had outsourced uh, the process to a company called Acronym that had, you know, questionable political ties, and they couldn't count the results. If you're hearing this message, you're listening to the free version of America This Week. To hear the rest of our conversation, please subscribe to TK News at taibi.substack.com.